this morning. Y'all were singing loud this morning. I can hear you up here. They always, they always tell, say with the sound is you don't want it too loud, but you don't want it if it's too quiet. When if people hear themselves sing, they won't sing. But y'all were, y'all were roaring this morning. So isn't it awesome just to get together and worship the Lord? Have you ever, have you ever, I don't know, some of you, if you, if you read the first part of Revelation, it, it gives a description about what worship's going to be like in heaven. And uh, sometimes charismatic churches, evangelical churches, uh, they're, 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 they're tough on maybe more traditional churches. Of they need to read, you know, what heaven's going to be like. You know, I, don't, I, I think all of us, none of us have a, have a corner on that. I mean, when we get to heaven, it's going to be, it's going to be a, just an awesome experience. And, you know, imagine, imagine how how much easier it would be to worship if you're in a perfect environment without any problems. See, now we have to worship in spite of our problems. But that's going to be, that's going to be a good thing. Uh, we only have one announcement this week, and that's just simply we have our Christmas service, our Christmas Eve service coming up on December 24th. It's going to be at 5 p.m., and uh, there will be one service. And, uh, and basically it's just our time. We get together, we sing Christmas carols. The kids have a handbell choir and they're going to sing some songs and and uh, we have a good time and it's only an hour long so if traditionally you come 30 minutes late it will be 30 minutes for you okay um, but uh but it, it, it's short and, and the deal is is that we just established this a number of years ago and a lot of families incorporate that they just come there and they go home and do their family stuff for the next morning and uh, after service we'll have uh, refreshments, free refreshments up in the cafe for those of you who just want to hang around in fellowship and, and uh, you know, with, with, with your church family on Christmas Eve um, for a little bit. You know, I, I, I feel like the Holy Spirit just really wants to encourage someone here this morning. And uh, I, don't, I don't know who it is, but if this, if this is you, um, just, just receive this. I just, I just feel like there's at least one person. I think it's a, a man. And uh, you're just really at a crossroads in life. And you're really just trying to, trying to figure out what your life's going to look like moving forward. And, and I believe the Lord would just tell you this morning that, you know, the only way your life can be what you want it to be is if he's involved. And, and, and maybe you're here and maybe you say, well, I don't like church, I don't like religion, and hey, you know, here at Family Life, we don't sell religion, we sell Jesus. Amen. It's a different thing. And so if that, if that, I just want to pray for that person, and, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Lord, I just pray for that person that you've put on my heart this morning. Lord, that there's someone here that's just really at a crossroads in life, God, and they're really trying to figure out how to move forward, how to, how to go forward, and and, and how, to, how to better their lives. And God, I just pray this morning that you give them a revelation of who you are and what you can do for them. And Lord, I just pray this morning that, that if they haven't received you as their Lord and Savior, that they would do that this morning, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we're, we're in, a, in a series, a Christmas series called The Greatest Story of All. I've been pastoring here. We started the church 20 years ago. 
and Christmas and Easter and all those, although you would think it'd be very easy, they get really hard for me because some people have been here a long time and they don't want to hear the same story. So I've, I, I go to sleep thinking, how can I tell the Christmas story in a different way, you know, every year? And then the, the Holy Spirit encouraged me. It's like, yeah, but Terry, they can't remember what you did eight years ago anyway, so let's do it again, right? <laughs> It was a pastor friend of mine, and he asked his congregation, how many of y'all remember what I spoke on last week? And no one raised their hand. He looked at his wife. She didn't raise her hand. And so at lunch, you said, why didn't you raise your hand? She said, because I know you, John. You would have asked me what you spoke on, and I honestly couldn't remember. And she said, by the way, what did you speak on? And he said, I'm sure it was awesome, though. So we're just really trying to focus on the incredible story of Christmas, the, the story of the birth of our Savior. It's an incredible story. I encourage you just to read it through all the Gospels and really just let it sink in. There's so many characters. There's so many geographical locations involved as they move around. And I, I believe, I'm not into the secularization of Christmas, but I believe Christmas can be a, an incredible thing for Christian families. I believe we can make some incredible memories and build some some Christmas traditions uh, with our family that focuses on the story of Jesus. Our, our kids need to know all the aspects of the birth of Jesus and how it came about and how miraculous and supernatural it was. And I say that because today our culture, our society, as it moves, as, as mainstream media culture moves away uh, from God, they still, they still want to have Christmas holiday. They want the time off. They just want it to be secular. They want to take the Christ out, out of Christmas. And we said three things last week starting off. There's three things about the Christmas story that we just have to understand. First of all, is that Christmas is a season of, of giving and generosity. And, and, and the reason that we give gifts today, the reason some of you give gifts today, is because Christmas is a story of God giving us his son, of God giving us uh, redemption and a savior, sending a savior into the world. And, you know, it, it all starts John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. So it's a season of giving and generosity. And, of course, you know, when the wise men came later to see Jesus and the wise men, since God had given them the, great, this, the gift of a Messiah, they also brought gifts to give to him and his parents. And you notice they give three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And all three of those things were a priceless, precious commodity. And I, I think, so going above presence and things, I believe that every day and that every year, God wants us to give him our best. And I challenge people, you know. I think so many times we get so caught up in society and we love Jesus, but if we're honest, we don't give him our best. I'm sorry, did I start off on a downer right there? We're going to pick it back up. We're going to pick it back up, right? But, but think about it. I mean, think in every area of our life, sometimes we're going to work every day, but we realize we're not really giving our best at work. Sometimes we're with our family every evening, but we realize we're not giving our best to our family. And the same thing in our spiritual lives, sometimes we realize we're not giving Jesus the best, the first of our lives. And, and so Christmas is a season of giving and generosity. And so, you know, Christmas is not supposed to be about parents losing their mind trying to get their kids a gift they want. That's, that's not what it, we, you've lost the, yeah, we have a mother right here who's done that before. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a season of giving, it's a season of, of generosity and and I just, I just encourage you, 
Find someone to be generous to this season. Find someone who need, who's in need. Find someone who doesn't have enough and, 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 and take what you would normally spend on your family and give some of it to them. That's, that's the story of Christmas, God giving us something that we needed and didn't have and didn't deserve. The second thing is that Christmas is a season of second chances. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I am so glad that the Christian faith it's not that you have to be perfect forever, that God still loves me even when I mess up. He still loves me. He, he's a God of second chances, third chances, and uh, it, it, it's just incredible. See, sometimes we live in a culture that's unforgiving. Do you have some people in your lives that are unforgiving? Oh, you're all with me now, aren't you? You didn't like that giving God your best, but you're in on that, man. I got mean people around me. But, but think about that. Humans, we can be so hard on each other, but yet we want God to forgive us and wipe the slate clean. Hey, so at Christmas, wipe that slate clean. You got something against somebody, you got unforgiveness, just let it go. Life's too short for that. It's a season of second chances, and Christmas is a season of love and redemption. At the end of the day, humanity and God had, had something between them called sin. And Jesus came and removed that to where we could be back in relationship with God, just the way Adam and Eve were, just the way it was before, that we can be in relationship with God. And it, it's, just an, it's just an incredible story when you think of all the ramifications. So this, this morning, I want to talk about Christmas uh, is a story of hope. It's the greatest story of all because it's a story of hope. And when you're down and out, when you're in trouble, the one thing that everyone wants is hope. That's the one thing that everyone wants, and Jesus came to give hope to everyone. When Jesus came into the world, when you start reading the story, uh, one of the first things I realized is that he brought hope. He brought hope into the situation. And for, think about this. For hundreds of years, the uh, committed Jewish people of the faith they had been teaching their kids. They had been reading the Torah in the synagogue. And they had been long waiting for the future Messiah. It was believed that God would send a Messiah for their redemption, their, for, their, for their Savior. And so if to the Jewish faith, uh, the future Messiah was the focal point of their, of their faith. And all their hope was vested in this future Messiah. And last week we read the Christmas story from Matthew and Luke. And this morning I want to read a different story. Uh, it's when he's basically brought to the temple for purification and for blessing. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 32. And there's this guy named Simeon that's there. And it's, it's really incredible story. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And that's really an incredible story. And really what, what, what Simeon was rejoicing about was hope had been restored to the world. 
It was hope for everyone. It was hope for the Gentiles. It was hope for the Jewish nation. He said, a light of salvation for your people. When Jesus came into the world, it, there was a new light that, that just blotted out the darkness of sin. And if you, if you carry this theme on, hope is one of the main themes in the Bible. As a matter of fact, if, if you look it up, hope is used 159 times in the Bible. That's a lot of times that hope is mentioned over and over and over again. And, and if you even look further, you find in the New Testament that Jesus is referred to as the hope of the nation, the hope of all people. And, and so uh, although hope is mentioned throughout the Bible, when it gets to the New Testament, it, it always refers, you almost always refers to Jesus as our hope. Let me read this to you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13, it says this, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Do you remember when you were separate from Christ? Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. It says, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So let's talk about the definition of hope because I think the definition of Christian hope and the definition of how a lot of people in society and around us define hope, they're very different. So this is how the world would define hope, the world's definition of hope. It's a feeling that what is wanted will happen. You have this hope that something that you want is going to happen. It's a, a desire accompanied by an expectation. Now, there's two bad words in this definition, feelings and desires. If you're going to live by your feelings and desires, man, you, you're going down a long road. That road is going to lead to feeling bad about yourself, discouragement, depression, anxiety. If, if we're going to live by feelings and desires, that's a problem. The, the Bible's definition of hope is quite different. It, it, it's basically this, that hope is an expectation based on the promises of God. God's hope is not based on feelings or desires. It's based on the promises of God. And if you go online, and uh, probably Amazon has it, um, there's a book called the, the Promise Book. And it has like 7,000 promises for people in the Bible. 7,000 promises. Now, I haven't counted how many promises, but they say there are 7,000. So if there's 6,500 or 7,100, that's a lot. That's a lot of promises uh, for, God, for God's people. Let me read one more uh, story about hope. And, and I'm going to go back, I'm going to go to Hebrews, and it's talking about the patriarch Abraham. It said this, when God made his promise to Abraham, of course, the promise to Abraham is that I'm going to make you, if, if you obey me, I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and Abraham and his wife Sarah were old and they didn't have any children. The promise was a child. The promise was, was a, a, a line to live after him. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what, he, what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may, may be greatly encouraged. Now, look at this. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, who's the forerunner of hope, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest in the order of, of Melchizedek. So I, I just want you to think about this for a minute. Abraham, he left everything he knew and he, he went to the promised land, the land of Israel. And uh, he's wandering there for years, for years with the promise, with God's promise. God swore by himself that I will give you many descendants. If you can count the stars, you can see how many, you can count how many descendants you'll have. But, but you know, it's, it's one year, it's two years, it's five years, it's 10 years, it's 14 years. And Abraham's 100 and his, his wife is 90. And, and God says, comes to him again and says, by this time next year, you know, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have your son. But I, I want you to think about this because sometimes God gives us a promise. And it doesn't come to reality next month. It may not come to reality in three months. But God says, when I give you a promise, I swear to it by myself. I swear to it by my name. Now, you have to make sure you don't make up some of God's promises, okay? Don't make up what you want. But when God tells you something, you, you can, what ha when he tells you something, when he promises you something, when he speaks to you about something in your life, that spoken word, that promise of God, it should produce hope in us, and that hope should anchor our soul. And, and I see, listen, you're not anchored by hope if you're wishy-washy. You know, um, you know, during, during Hurricane Harvey, I, I was down fishing on the coast with my dad, and um, there was this sailboat way up there on land. Like, I don't, it was a huge sailboat, way up there on land. And uh, I said, man, why didn't, they, why didn't they, you know, take their boat out? They knew the hurricane was coming. He said, oh, he anchored it off. He was bragging to me that he anchored it off with a long rope, and it, it could withstand everything. See, that's what happens when, we, when we're anchored by the other definition of hope, by our desires and feelings and emotions. That anchor doesn't hold. It, it, the, the anchor for our soul, souls is the hope of the promises that God has given us. So hope is a very powerful thing. <clears throat> and again, it's the, it can be the anchor for our soul. So I, I want to give you five reasons that you can hope at, at this Christmas season. Five reasons, first of all, is that one of God's promises to us is that we, we, we'll, we'll have eternal life. Come on now. Come on out. Do any of you ever have a bad day and you walk out to the curve and say, you can come anytime, Jesus? Amen. You ought to try that. It feel, actually, I've tried that before. It actually feels pretty good. <clears throat> you know, and if someone comes by, you just say, oh, I'm just meditating. I'm just meditating. But we're promised eternal life. And Titus 3, 5 through 7 says this, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom, whom he poured out on us generously 
through Christ, Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having what? The hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. And, and you know, we're living here today and we're living in a world that has evil, it, it, as evil, it has sin. Bad things happen to you, bad things happen to me, bad things are happening around the world. I mean, can you imagine that like every 30 seconds, a Christian somewhere in the world is, is put to death? Can you imagine that? That's going on every day. So when you go through your day on Monday, uh, every 30 seconds, a Christian has been martyred around the world. So we have hope, but they, they don't die in vain. They die in hope. And what, what happens when they die? This is a dress rehearsal. They're in, they're in heaven with Jesus. They're not wanting to come back. You know, see, see, affluence, the affluence of our country, it has, it has seared us to a point that we think we have it good. Every day in affluent communities, people are committing suicide, people are getting divorced, people are getting abused. And so, again, we have to go back. We have to go. We can have hope. Because no matter what happens to me, it doesn't matter if I live one year, 10 years, 20 years, I have eternal life with Jesus. I am going to spend eternity with, in heaven with Jesus. And, and, and the Bible tells us that heaven, you know, it's, it's, it's a perfect place. There's, there's no sorrow, no sadness, no pain, no disappointments, no family reunions. <laughs> We're all one family. It's a reunion the whole time. But it's, it's a place, most importantly, filled with the presence of God. And can you, you know, sometimes, like, I felt the Lord's presence very strong this morning. We're worshiping together, and, and, and I feel like you felt that too because I could, I, I, I could feel the power coming back. But can you imagine never leaving the presence of God? I mean, come on, can you just imagine? Can you just imagine that? So, again, no matter where you are in life, we are one step closer to eternity and that's good news for us, for us Christians. The promise of God for our lives is the hope of eternal life. Number two, we're promised God's provision. We're promised God's provision. I meet people every day. I meet good Christian people every day that are walking around like God is dead. Like they're walking around like God can't do for them what they need. You know, Moses, remember when Moses was leading 3,000 rebellious, complaining people. I mean, three, did I say 3,000? Yes. Three million, three million, I'm sorry. Two to three million people. And um, if I say something wrong, I actually know what I'm supposed to say, okay? So don't, don't send me text and email. I know, I know, I'll listen back. But remember, they were complaining, we want meat, we want meat. We, we, they were in slavery in Egypt, getting beat by taskmasters, being put to death. Remember when we sat around pots of free meat in Egypt? It's like, like Egypt was a buffet. You know, and, and it wasn't. And so God says, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to give them meat. I'm going to give them meat. They're going to be sick of meat. And, and Mo Moses says, God, if we caught all the fish in the sea, would that provide? And what, what did God say? Is my arm short? You're, you're fixing to see. And I, I'm telling you, we go through life sometimes thinking that God can't provide what we need. And if that's you, you got to expand your faith. Because God, what does the Bible say? God can do exceedingly abundantly more than you ask or think. So 1 Timothy 6, 17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world 
not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Can you say everything? God's provision is not just financial. God wants to provide you richly with everything you, you need to enjoy life. And sometimes what we need is encouragement. God can send someone to encourage us. Sometimes what we need is wisdom to make a decision. And, and so I, I think it's interesting, but sometimes people, when it's talking about provision, people only think of it in financial terms. I know a lot of very wealthy people, and they would give up all their money to be happy. <laughs> well, give all your money out there at the offering box, and I'll make you happy later. <laughs> but but can't, can't, I'm sorry, I couldn't. We had this thing. That wasn't planned, by the way. Um, but no, seriously, think about this. We are limiting God. And I just want to ask you, the hope of Christmas is take Jesus came, he blew the limits off. Take the lid off the little box you put God in. He's a big God, he's a creator, he's a creator of the universe. So uh, we're, we're promised that if we put our hope in God, he will supply our needs. And again, the promise isn't just limited to financial resources. And uh, you know, I, 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 can, I, can, I can tell you story after story, you've heard many of them. Uh, you know, when we, when we came here to start this church, it wasn't in our best financial interest to do that. But God provided everything. He provided everything we needed, and he brought many great people to help us out. And so, listen, the hope at, the hope at Christmas is that you can have, that is that God wants to provide for you. He wants to provide, and he wants to provide what you need. And so I would start by this. If you're lacking in one area, why don't you go home today or at the end of the first day and just say, God, I need your provision in this area of my life. God, I need your, this provision. God, I need a better job. Or God, I need a job. I need this provision. Uh, because God wants to do that. Number three, the third point of hope is this, is that we are promised strength. We are promised strength. How many of you out here would admit that you're weak? I'll raise my hand. We think we're strong, but life has a way of just pounding our self-sufficiency out of us. It just has a way of doing that. And so God promises to give us strength. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who hope in the Lord, again, all these scriptures have hope, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not faint. I want you to take that scripture with you to the gym. Get on the treadmill. You're just saying, I can't do it anymore. Oh, I'm going to soar like an eagle. Hey, man, I feel like I'm flying like, flying like a, falling like a turkey, right? But hope renews our, hope renews our strength like, like really nothing, nothing else can. And even when things are difficult, hope, what hope does, hope allows you to get up in the morning and get out of bed. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can do this. Hope allows you to get out of bed because, again, there's the promise of what God's going to do to you. And if you don't have hope, what happens is, if we don't have hope or if we allow our hope to fade, what happens is 
we end up staying where we're at. And if we stay where we're at and it's not a good place, that, again, that leads to depression, discouragement, anxiety will fill our, you know, fill our lives uh, when hope isn't present. Again, earlier we said that hope, the thought of God's promises being fulfilled in our life, they anchor our soul. They anchor our soul. They keep us from drifting way off course. Number four is that we are promised joy and peace. Joy and peace. How many of you know a lot of Christians that don't have joy or peace? How many of them are sitting right next to you? You know what I think is funny? No one, when I say silly questions like that, no one thinks of themselves, they think of other people. I'm asking you to think about you. Because the hope at Christmas is that we should have joy and peace. Joy and peace. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope, so it's God's hope, his promises for your life, the ones that are anchor your soul, may the God of hope fill you with joy and, with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, I think what happens is, uh, it, it, like when I ask you questions like that, obviously everyone in this auditorium, sometimes we have days when we don't feel joyful or peaceful. Okay? But we just don't want to stay there. And we have to get back on balance and we can't, if we get stuck in what we can do and stuck in our box, we have to go back to the promises of God. We have to go back to the hope <coughs> that he has for us. A funny story, I was reading, you know, Martin Luther, I, I, I like to read some uh, um, historical bi biographies of people. And Martin Luther was the, the founder of the Protestant Reformation. He went to the church in Wittenberg and nailed his 95 theses on the wall, and he was coming against the Catholic Church for, uh, for just some abomination. They were paying for, uh, for sins to be forgiven and things like that, and his whole thing was justification by faith. Well, he got death threats and all kind of things, and Martin Luther, he was a man of great faith, but sometimes he, got, he, went, he had moods of depression, and he's moping around his house for days thinking the Pope's going to kill him and excommunicate him, all this kind of stuff. And so he came into his living room one day, and all of his family, his wife and his two children, they're, they're, they're dressed in black. And he said, well, whose funeral are you going to? She said, I'm going to God's funeral because you're acting like he's dead. I'm so glad Tracy didn't ever read that story. She would have done that to me. I know it right now. When I'm moping around the house, I'm telling you, she would have done that. But see, that's what happens. When we don't have joy and peace in our situations, we're acting as if God cannot make a difference. Come on, church. God can make a difference. He wants to make a difference. But sometimes we got to meet him halfway and, and, and believe. We have to believe and exert our faith and hope. The last thing is this, is that we're promised guidance. That's one of the biggest questions I hear in life is people are like, I don't know what decision to make. I don't know if I should take this job or stay here. I don't know if I should move. I don't know. It's, it, it, it's guidance. In Psalms 25, 5, it says this, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. All day long. Every day. And so, again, it gives me great security when, this, when the God that created me uniquely, that created you uniquely, we're all created uniquely, the God who plans your life, 
when he's saying, I will guide you in the plan that I've established for you. See, that, 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 that's great security. That, that is great. That's great hope. It's comforting to realize that all I have to do is ask him to guide me. And I just, I just want to encourage you. Here in a couple weeks, the first full week of January, we'll have a week of prayer and fasting. We do that every year. And I always tell people, you know, some, sometimes we don't hear from God because we, don't, we never shut out the world. And the world is noisy. I mean, we're at home with TVs blaring. We're in front of a computer screen. We're driving down the road with the radio on blasting. And I know this. If you'll take time to seek God's will for your life, to seek guidance through prayer and devotion and listening, 100% he will speak to you. 100%. And uh, you can do that this week. You can do it this afternoon. Go get alone and just begin to pray. And it may take some time. It may take a couple days. But the week of prayer and fasting, we've, I've had more people say, you know, Terry, I, I heard more from God in this one week when I shut things down. And it always begs the question, why don't we do it two or three times a year? Amen. But anyway, that's, would you stand with me this morning? So reasons to hope in the Christmas season, God has promised us eternal life. God said that he would provide everything we need to enjoy life, that he would give us strength to persevere, that he would fill us with joy and peace, and that he would, he would give us guidance. We're going to worship the Lord for a minute, and then I'm going to come back up and close us with prayer this morning. And so just, just be thinking this morning, what's your hope level right now? And we're going to come back and pray with you here in just a minute. Can we lift our hands? We are in our church for a minute. Let's just worship the Lord.
bow your heads with me this morning close your eyes and I want to first of all extend an invitation if there's anyone here this morning that say you know Terry I've been living without hope because I've never given my heart in my life to Jesus and today I would like to do that is there anyone here like that this morning I'm not going to embarrass you anyone says man I need the hope of Jesus this morning then let me ask all the rest maybe you're here this morning you realize man I've been living below where God wants me to go I'm I'm falling into depressive patterns. I'm falling into things because I'm not anchored on the promises of God. I'm not, God's hope for my life, his hope in my life through Jesus has not anchored me and I've I've drifted away from where I really need to be. And I just want God to bring me back and I want to be anchored in the hope of Jesus. Would you just raise your hand this morning? God, we just thank you this morning that you're our hope. We have a great hope, a hope that anchors our soul this morning. God, I just pray right now. Lord, I just pray that you're just removing discouragement. You're removing depression. You're just removing self-sufficiency. You're removing pride from our lives. And God, we're dependent upon you to provide the hope that anchors our soul. It's not on what we've done. It's on what Jesus has done. And this morning, we just thank you, God. And Lord, I just release hope in here this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit is just renewing our hope in you, God, in the promises that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to dismiss us here in just a minute. I always like to close in a prayer of blessing over you. If all the men in here, if y'all could help us stack up these chairs and stacks of eight, that would be helpful. But, you know, I always like to remind us at the close of every service that the Bible says that when we're in covenant with God, we're in a covenant relationship that we're, we're totally committed to Him when He's the Lord and Savior of our life, that there are certain benefits that come to all of us. And there's so many, I can't say them all, but I always like to pray that. So if you're in covenant with Jesus this morning, would you just raise your hands? God, I just pray right now. Lord, I pray for the blessings that came through the life of Jesus to be upon our lives and our families. God, I pray for financial provision. I pray for emotional strength and health. God, I pray for safety. I pray that you would bless us coming in and bless us going out. You would bless whatever we put our hands to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great day.